Welcome to Joy Church. Man, it is a good day to be at church. It is such a good day. It's not just because of the pancakes. It's not just because of the free t-shirts. Man, it's just a good day. God is here. He is in this place. I'm so stirred and moved by all those baptisms. That's wild. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so cool. That's incredible. You guys, what if you're like, I don't even know what was going on. A friend invited me to church and there was people in the horse trough and I don't know why. What's going on is these people are saying, they're making their public confession, saying, I used to belong to the kingdom of this world. I used to belong to the kingdom of darkness. I used to be dead, but then I met Jesus. And he made me alive. And I am giving my life. I am following after him. And this is my public confession saying, everybody look around. Now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. And throughout time, since Jesus, for 2,000 years, people have been doing this. And so it's so incredible for us as Christians to get to partake in that to get to be part of it and say, just like Christians who around the world, some Christians do this, and it's also their public confession saying, now, you know, I might be killed for my own faith, right? And so all of us get to join together and be like, man, I get to be part of this. I'm part of this movement saying I'm part of the kingdom of heaven now. If you haven't been baptized, if you haven't been water baptized, do it. Put your faith in Jesus and then come and publicly say, I'm for Jesus now. If you, if you want to know more about it, if you want to know more about it, I encourage you to get into Next Track. Get into Next Track. They will answer all your questions. They will help you know what it is. And then we can be cheering you on on a Sunday morning. It'll be so exciting. We are in this series up for it. We are talking about faith. And Pastor Jake did such a great job last week just, just introducing this idea of us being people who live in faith. I was raised in church, so I heard about faith all the time as a child. And you know, there was a, a verse that I heard all the time that was, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, then you can say to this mountain, be moved, and the mountain will be moved. And so as a small child, I was excited about that. I would ride in the back of the car, and I grew up um, in southern, or not southern, middle California. Not southern, it wasn't nice, okay? I grew up, we called it, when I lived there, lovingly, we called it the armpit of California. Recently, a few years ago, um, Jake and I, we went down there, and he's never been to where, where um, I was born, so we went down there, and I showed him my house, he was unimpressed. The whole time... The house I grew up in, the city I grew up in, unimpressed. And the whole time we were down there, I had told him, Jake, it's smoggy down here. You don't know what smog is. This is how the air is, right? This is what I breathed in my whole life, you know? And um, he, he was, the whole time we were down there, was like, man, what's going on with this air? Something's going on. They must be plowing fields. But the whole time, I kept being like, that's the air here. And he was not believing me. And finally, I like Googled it. Worst air in the country or whatever it is. And I'm like, this how, that's what we breathe. It's thick. It's different. It's thick air. It wasn't until Oregon that I was like, air's not supposed to feel, you're not supposed to feel it inside? That's weird. <laughs> Usually I breathe and you feel it, you know? 
Um, but so I wouldn't see mountains a lot. But when we would travel, when we would drive somewhere, when we'd go somewhere else, we would see mountains. And I remember sitting in the backseat of the car and I'd be like, there's that mountain. If I had the faith of a mustard seed, which is very tiny, so I only need a tiny bit of faith. And I would be praying, building myself up in my faith in the backseat. And I would say, okay, God, here we go. Move that mountain. And I would open my eyes and the mountain would not have moved. And I, I didn't quite understand. And maybe that's how you feel about faith as well. It's like, I, yeah, it's something I'm supposed to have, but the things that I pray for, I don't know, they don't seem to happen. Or the things that I believe for, they don't seem to happen. And so that's what this series is all about, is what is faith? What is faith? Why is it so important? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, it gives us a great little definition of what faith is. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. There is so much about God, about spirituality that we don't see with our eyes. And so faith is knowing that it's going to happen anyways. Faith is knowing that it's real, even if the people around you don't say that it's real. Faith is knowing that what those people did this morning was significant, even if other people you know, in other parts of, of Gateway don't know that it's significant. It's us knowing that even though you can't see it, we believe it. It's this conviction of things not seen. Another word for faith is fidelity. Fidelity, which means the quality or state of being faithful or loyal. I put my fidelity in Jesus. I'm loyal to him. I put um, my uh, faithfulness towards him. It's my fidelity. Another word is allegiance. I give my allegiance to Jesus. Loyalty or commitment of a subordinate to a superior. You know, if you grew up um, a, a bit ago, then you did the Pledge of Allegiance, where we pledged our allegiance to a flag. Well, as a Christian, I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. I pledge my allegiance to him. I'm giving him all of my fidelity. I'm giving him all of my faith. William Carey said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. And if you guys can leave with anything this morning, that's what I pray that you leave with, is this quote that, man, that each and every one of us will want to be people who say, I want to attempt great things for God, and I expect great things from God. We're going to talk today about a man in the Bible who had incredible faith, and we're going to um, actually fast forward to the end of his story in Joshua 14. And this man who had great faith, his name is Caleb. And so this is the end of his life. Um, well, this is the end of his story in the Bible. Maybe he lived a lot longer. <laughs> Let's not be so mean to Caleb. He's like, come on. I lived to be a 303, or I don't know. But anyways, this is, this is towards the end of Caleb's life. This is the end of his story. And this is what Caleb says, in, uh, starting in verse 6. He says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, said to him, so this is Caleb, he's saying to, to Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it is in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord. And Moses swore on that day, saying, surely, surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, 
The Lord has kept me alive just as he said. These 45 years since the time that the Lord first spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am on this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. And how many of the men say, yeah. <laughs> the us girls are like, man, you should just take a break. Maybe you, should, maybe you should not go to war anymore. You should take a day off. That'd be good. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were here and how great the fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and shall drive them out just as the Lord said. This is the end of the story of Caleb in the Bible. And Caleb, at this point, he's 85 years old, and he's saying, I'm just as strong as I ever was. How many of you guys um, are, are a little bit older, octogenarians in this room, <laughs> and you say, I'm just as strong as I ever were, right? When, when I, um, I got to play on the, on the Joy football soccer teams in the last season, and you know what? I wasn't like, I'm just as strong as I ever were. <laughs> I was like, wow, these knees don't work anymore. <laughs> And I'm not 85 years old, right? But Caleb, he's still full of faith at 85 years old. He still is believing for all that God has promised him in his life. So how do we become like that? How do we get to the later part of our life still saying, God, I'm ready to take another mountain. I'm ready to take another hill. We're going to look back on Caleb's life and see what was going on around him that led him into this place. Just for a quick little uh, backstory about this is that this is the, the, the nation of Israel, not how we say the country of Israel now, but these are just a people. So this is God's chosen people. They at some point end up in Egypt and they actually become slaves of the Egyptians. So it's not a great time. It's actually a terrible time. They're slaves for over 400 years and um, they at, and God calls, sorry, I'm stuttering. God calls Moses and says, go and set my people free. So Moses goes to Egypt. Some of you guys are like, Prince of Egypt. I got it. I'm following. I've seen the movie. I'm about to sing the songs, right? And then those of you who are a little bit older, you're like, the Ten Commandments. I got it. I'm with you. I've seen this movie. I know what you're talking about, right? So Moses comes. He comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, why would I do that? Our entire economy is built on this slave trade. So why would, I, why would I let them, why would I free them? Absolutely not. And so God performs 10 miracles, or you might say plagues, okay? It depends on your perspective. If you're an Israelite, it's a miracle. If you're an Egyptian, it's a plague, right? But he, he performs 10 miracles until Pharaoh says, fine, get out of here. I don't want to see you. I don't want to know you. Get out of here. Let the people go. And then what it says in Exodus is not only did the Egypt or did the Israelites were not only were they freed, but also before they're freed, God tells them to go to the Egyptians and ask them for some of their jewels. Right? Which is such a bizarre thing to ask. And the Egyptians give the, the, the Israelites some of their jewels. And so it says not only were they freed from Egypt, Egypt, but they plundered Egypt. They took all their money with them too. And so, and they didn't steal it. It was given to them, but they, they plundered this economy as well. They get right out to the Red Sea and the Egyptians have changed their mind. What are we thinking? We've changed our mind. Come back. You guys have to be our slaves again. So they start chasing the Israelites. And that's when the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea happens, where God miraculously parts this enormous sea and the Israelites cross on dry land. 
The whole time this is going on, God is promising these people, I am going to lead you to a promised land. I'm leading you to a promised land. And that's where we get in the story right now is that now they are at the edge of this promised land. And so it says in Numbers chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. So he's saying, send some guys into the land and spy it out and I'm giving you this land. This land is for you. And so Moses sends 12 men into the land. They spend 40 days just basically scouting it out. What does the land look like? land is incredible. God keeps telling them it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what that means. Sounds weird, right? But to them, this sounds pretty awesome. It's this promised land that they want. It actually says that the spies, that the, um, the produce in the land was so incredible that one cluster of grapes, so you guys know what a cluster of grapes is, right? One cluster of grapes they had to hold on a pole between two men. So that's how incredible this land was. So these 12 spies, they go in the land for 40 days. They come back, and they're ready to give their report to Moses and to all of the people what the land is like. And so we're going to pick up in verse 27. It says, And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However... The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak, that's what we're going to say. Anak there. The descendants of Anak, so you know, these were giants. So they're saying, hey, guess what? Also, we saw the descendants of Anak there. So all of the people would have known. Basically, there's giants also in that land. And then they go on, they say the Amalekites dwell there, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, they all dwell in that land, which basically they're saying, there's enemies here, there's enemies here, there's bad to the bone dudes here, there's bad to the bone dudes here. And they're saying all of their cities are fortified. We can't take the land. It says in verse 30, but Caleb, remember Caleb, right? At this point, he's 45, not 85, or 40. He says, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not well able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they're basically arguing at this point. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out. So 10 of the spies come back saying, hey, the land is awesome, but we can't take it. It's not for us. It's going to be too hard. And two of the men, Caleb and Joshua, come back and they're saying, no, we are well able. God has said we can take this land. We can do it. But the 10 spies keep saying, no, absolutely not. So let's move ahead to chapter 14. It says, then all the congregation, all of the people raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. It would be better to be dead than to have to face this land in front of us. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the whole assembly of the congregation. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. 
They're so upset. And they said to all of the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all of the congregation is set to stone them with stones. They're so mad that Joshua and Caleb keep saying, we can do it, you guys, we can do it. We are up for it. Let's go, let's go get the land. They're so angered by these words that they say, let's kill these guys. Let's stone them to death. You guys are like, thought you had a bad week last week. <laughs> At least when you were like, guys, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings for lunch. They weren't like, stone them to death. <laughs> Take them out, right? So they're ready, they get ready, they're saying, let's stone him, and it's basically just turning into chaos. And then it says, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. All of a sudden, God is there. The Israelites, they were uh, nomadic people, they were dwelling in tents. And God told them, always have this tent of meeting, meaning where you will meet with me. And that was supposed to be right in the center of their camp, right into the middle. And God would actually come, into that tent and he would meet with them. Now, I don't know what that means, but something physically happened in that moment where it said, and God showed up in the camp, right? And everyone's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, right? So something happens in that moment where everyone knows God is here now, he's in the camp. Verse 11, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And then Moses and God have this long conversation about how the people are despising. They don't have any faith. And finally, God says, none of these people are going to go to the promised land. None, none of you are even allowed, right? This is like when you make dinner and you've made such a nice dinner for your little small children. And as soon as you set it down, they're, they're ah, ah, I can't eat that. I use as tomatoes, whatever the problem is. And finally, whoever cooks the food, the mom or the dad or whoever it is goes, that's enough. You don't get it anyways, right? You can go to bed hungry or whatever. No, most of us are like, fine, I'll make mac and cheese or you know, I'm sad that I am that mom. Okay, but, you, but that's what God is saying. He's like, fine, you don't get to go. I'm sick of it. You despise me. Not, I'm not, see, he's not saying that you despise me. I'm sick of you. He's saying the way that you're acting is despising my very nature. And so he says, you don't get to come into the promised land. But I did promise it to your people so your kids can take the promised land. But everybody here who doesn't have faith is going to die in the wilderness, including the 10 spies. And then God says, it's only Joshua and Caleb, the two that came back with faith and with a good report. They're the only ones who get to go into the promised land. And so he says in, in verse 22, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different 
spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Possess it. I just want to highlight a few things about Caleb. This is, this is about it that we have about his life. But obviously he was this incredible man of faith that he truly believed that what God said he was going to do, he would do. And as we talk about faith and as we learn about faith, I want to be like a Caleb. I want to be one of the people that says, no, whatever God says, no matter if it looks difficult, no matter if it looks like there are giants, no matter if it looks like if it's impossible, if God already said we can do it, then let's do it. So let's go back into the story and look at some of the ways that Caleb was different. The first thing is that in that first verse I read that God promised them he was giving them that land. He says, send the spies to the land of Canaan, which I am giving to you. They already had a word that God was going to give them the land. He already promised he was going to give them the land. They just had to believe it. The next thing is that in verse 30, when, when all of the spies are saying, we can't do it, this is why people are living there, there's giants, it's bad. I love in verse 30, it says, but Caleb quieted the people. But Caleb quieted the people. He's like, okay, no more of that, right? All of those words you are saying, let's not say them anymore. In the same way, we have to quiet the voices in our life that are contrary to the word of God. You have to actively quiet the voices in your life that are contrary to the word of God. Every day, all around you, there are voices yelling at you about who you are, who you will be, how your kids will be, how your marriage will be. There's voices yelling at you all around. And so as Christians, if we want to be people full of faith, we have to say, I'm silencing, I'm quieting down the voices. For you guys know, if you're younger, I'm, I'm turning down a knob that turns things down. If for the younger generation, it would be like a phone and you press the button, okay, or something, or your head things. I don't know. But for all of us a little older, we're using a knob here. That's what I'm doing. But we're quieting the voices. We're saying those need to be quieter than the voice of God in my life. That anywhere where there is a lack of faith coming at me, I need to quiet that voice and listen to the voice of God in my life. So maybe for you, this is the news. I don't know about you, but when I hear the news, I get worried. I get nervous. I get upset. I realize, oh, things aren't going very well. Well, that makes it difficult for me to believe in the words that God has for me, in the great things that God has ahead for Joy Church, if I'm always listening to the news. And so I turn down the news. I quiet the news. I quiet that lack of faith. Maybe for you, it's social media. Maybe when you start watching social media, you start comparing yourself to other people. You start comparing your marriage. Suddenly, your spouse is not good enough. Your car is not good enough. Your house is not good enough. You are not good enough. What's going on is you're not believing you are who God says you are. And so it's time to quiet the voices, turn them down, and remember who God says that you are. Remember what God has for you. Or maybe for you, it's friends or family or even well-meaning people. There's a lot of well-meaning people in our lives who aren't going to believe the same things that you know that God has given you a word for. There are times in our life where you just know God has told me, this is what's going to happen. This is where I'm going. Nothing's going to get in my way. And well-meaning people will say, you know, wisdom would say, and you could be like, quiet in the voice. <laughs> la, 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 right? Whatever it is. <laughs> 
It doesn't mean that you have to be mean. It doesn't mean you even have to say anything to them. But for you, you can have this inside of you that says no, no. I don't believe that. This weekend we had a, a funny thing going on where we were trying to, we had this opportunity and um, we weren't sure if it was going to work. And I knew all of the information. I've done all the research. So I knew that it was a very slight chance that whatever it was that, I was that we wanted to happen, that it would happen. And so I was telling Jake about this opportunity, how cool it is. And he's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to be a yes. We had to get a yes from, from this organization. We had to get a yes from them. And he said, we're going to get the yes. And I'm like, yeah, you know, but you don't know the whole story. You don't know how bad it is, right? Well, you don't understand. You haven't done the research. And I wasn't saying those things to him, but I was thinking it. I was saying it a little bit to him. He's like, yes, you were. And all this day, it was on Friday, and we were actually going up to a church on Friday that we were at, we were speaking at. And so all that day, and then even every time I brought it up, oh, it'd be so cool if this opportunity works out. But you know, it's a small chance. It's very slim chance. Probably not going to happen. That's what I keep saying. And every time I say it, he's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then at one point I brought it up again. We were driving, you know, and, and you know, it's probably not going to happen. And he goes, Bethany, it's going to happen. And all of a sudden I looked at him and I said, you have faith for this to happen. And he goes, yes, I have faith. It's going to happen today. And I'm like, I don't. I'm like, that's cool. It's like watching like a circus thing happen. I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. You can do a cartwheel. I can't. Right. I, I told him, I was like, I don't really have faith for that, but that's, that's cool that you have faith for that. What was he was, what was he doing? I was coming and I was telling him all of the reasons why this wasn't going to happen. No, you don't understand. Here's all the practical reasons. You're not being rational. You're not being logical. And he's saying, I know God is going to do it. I know God is going to make this happen. And you know what? At 4.37 PM, I got an email and it happened. And I said, Jake, it happened. And he goes, I told you it was going to happen today. And I said, I know, I know you did. But what was Jake doing? He was saying, I have faith. And every time I was coming and say, giving him even nice sounding things, even logical sounding things, even rational things with data, he was saying, no, 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 that's not the word of God. No. And then you would say, well, that, is that the word of God? No, he just knew this is going to happen for us. God wants this to happen for us. It will happen for us. And he had faith and he was quieting the voice of his own wife saying, no, I have faith that God is going to make this happen. And God did it in your life. What are the voices that you need to quiet in your life in order to have faith? Maybe the voice in your life is even your own voice. So often it's our own voice lying to us. Oh, I've messed up too much. I'm not a child of God. He hasn't really forgiven me. Maybe he's not even real. Maybe he won't bless me like he blesses other people. Maybe he, he doesn't, he's not the mountain mover like he is for other people. And you have to quiet your own voice and say, what does the word of God say? What does the word of God say over my life? You have to be a person who says, I'm going to quiet the other voices in my life. We're just going to skip right to the end because we're, we're out of time, but... I love in this, in this verse where it says, in verse 24, talking about Caleb, why he is different, why God is so um, just excited about who Caleb was. He says, my servant Caleb, he has a different spirit. He followed me fully, and I will bring into the land into which he went, his descendants shall possess it. A person who has faith has a different spirit. Number one, has a different spirit, 
who says, even though everyone around me might be screaming, calamity, chaos, ruin, I have a different spirit and I'm listening to someone else. I have a different spirit inside of me that says, I'm up for it, God. I'm up for it. Whatever you say, whatever you want, I'm up for it, Lord. I'll believe for it. And the second thing was that he follows me fully. That's what God was saying. Caleb follows me fully. He follows the word that I have spoken. He believes me when I say I will do what I, what I said I was going to do. That's the whole reason that God was so upset and saying, how long will you despise me? Because the Israelites had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. They were miraculously delivered out of Egypt. They weren't, even, they weren't only miraculously delivered, they literally plundered that, that nation's economy as they left. That's an incredible thing that happened, and yet the Israelites were still saying, I don't believe you are who you say you are. Let me tell you, it's the same way for us when we don't have faith. When we, just, when we don't even look at your life individually, when we look at how incredible it is what Jesus has done for every single one of us, that God became man, that he lived and he dwelt among us, that he was tempted in every way, that we are tempted and yet he never sinned, that he set his face like a flint towards the cross and he said, I'm going to the cross to restore relationship for my people so they can be in relationship with God, so they can be all that I've created them to be, that he set himself there, that he he took upon his body the bruises. He took upon his body the shame that he took upon his body, the punishment for all the sin, all the wickedness that you and I have done, that he did that, that he conquered sin, that he conquered death. On the third day, he rose from the grave. He is not dead. He is alive. In the same way that the Israelites plundered Egypt, Jesus plundered the kingdom of darkness for you, for you in your life that you wouldn't be plagued with sin, that you wouldn't be plagued with addiction, that you wouldn't be plagued with sickness, that you can be all that God has called you to be. That is a person who has faith, who says, I don't despise what God has done before, but I have faith that he will continue to be who he says he is, that he will continue to do what he says he will do. In this room right now, if you need healing in your body, if everyone would just close your, close your eyes, bow your heads, if you need healing in your body, I wanna pray for you. Just lift up your hands right now. We're going to pray that you will be healed. It says that by Jesus' stripes that he bore on his body, we can have healing. Jesus, right now we speak healing into bodies that you would heal them, God. That at your word, you would heal your people. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the healer. And that's what we are asking for. Right in this moment, God, the sickness would be healed. The diseases would be cured, God that we would have different reports coming from the doctor, that where we've had reports saying, oh no, this is the bad report, the next time we go, they're gonna say, you're, I don't know what happened, but you're healed. I don't know what happened, but things have changed. Thank you, Jesus, that you are healing your people. Right now, if you are dealing with addiction, if you say, I have these addictions in my life and I can't break them, he is the God who breaks every yoke. So if you would just lift up your hand right now, if you are battling with addictions, we are gonna pray and I believe God will break those addictions off your life. Jesus, thank you that you break every addiction. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't um, have your children so that they would be in bondage. And we speak over addiction that it's broken. In the name of Jesus, Lord, there will be no more cravings. There will be no more um, uh, just wanting to do those things, go back to those things that broken in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. If you're here and you deal with fear and anxiety and it's been crippling in your life, would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray for you. Because he did not give us a spirit of fear, 
but of power and a sound mind. Jesus, right now, look at your children, look at your people. God, we ask for freedom, Lord. We thank you that you do not bring fear in our life. You do not bring dread in our life. You do not bring the anxiety in our life, the panic in our life. And so, God, we say that is broken in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that by your presence, by your spirit, you are healing your people, God, that you are doing what only you can do, God. We thank you, Jesus, that there won't be any nighttime terrors anymore. There won't be any crippling anxiety anymore, God. We thank you that instead we will dwell on your word, that we will read your word and it will renew our mind and we will no longer have fear, Lord, in Jesus' name. You guys, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means in your life, the same God that we read about in the Bible, the same God that we, that we sing about on Sundays, he's the same God that wants to work miracles in your life. He wants to grab a hold of your life and change you from the inside out. He doesn't want you to stay stuck. He doesn't want you to stay the same. He wants you to be free. And that's the freedom that God is offering you. It's incredible to me today to see 10 people be baptized and saying, I'm, my, my life is for the Lord today. God is doing something in Eugene. God is doing something in Springfield. And it's us saying, do I want to be part of it? Do I want to be part of it? You guys, I want to be part of it. What's so incredible about Caleb is that when we read in Joshua, when he gets to that land, they've already, they've already seen God do great things. They see the, the um, city of Jericho fall down. God's already doing amazing things. Caleb's 85. You think he would have said, okay, I'm going to take a nap. But instead he's saying, hey, there's another hill up there. I would love to take it. And that was the hill that has all the giants living at it. But he's saying that word of God, that we can conquer this land, is still burning in my heart. And in fact, you know what they call that area that he took? It's called Hebron, and they call it the city of destiny. That Caleb is just an ordinary man. He's just an ordinary man in the Bible. We don't see that he has the most incredible parents. We don't see that he is born in the very best home. We don't see that he has all these opportunities. All that we see is that he says God said that he would do this for us. Let's believe it. Every single one of us can be a Caleb. And that's what it will take for us as a church to see this community change, to see people flood in saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to be changed. I want to be a disciple. It comes when all of us say, I want to be a Caleb. I have faith that God can do it. I have faith that God is alive, that he is still here, that he wants to heal us, that he wants to save us, that he is with us and not against us. Can you be a Caleb? Today, can you be a Caleb in your community? I want to read that quote to you guys one last time. Attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. Let's be a people who say, I attempt great things for God and I expect great things from God. If everyone would just bow their heads and close their eyes. If you're in this place and you say, I haven't, given, I haven't put in my faith in Jesus I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. We want to give you that opportunity. Like I talked about earlier, that Jesus is the Son of God, that you were made and created by God, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And we do that through our faith in Jesus, that we say, Jesus lived, he died for me, he rose again for me, and he's the only way I can be saved. If you're in this room and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, would you just lift up your hand? 
No one's looking around. We're not trying to embarrass you. It's just you saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to start following after Jesus. Thank you. Anybody else in this room? Thank you. Right now we're going to say a prayer, and it's not having perfect words. It's just you putting your faith. It's you vocalizing, saying, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm putting my trust in you. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you will do what you say you, you will do. So if everyone in the room, if you'll just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. God, I have sinned. I've messed up in my life. Will you forgive me? Will you make me clean? God, I want to be like you. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. Here's my life. Teach me how to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.